Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. In this episode, we talk with Dan Sullivan, Executive Vice President of Cambridge Investment Research. Dan joined the senior management of Cambridge with 30 years' experience as a financial advisor. He now focuses on leading strategic initiatives that support advisors in efficiently growing their independent businesses. We talk with Dan about developing a niche that reflects your authentic self, how building on your skills and passions, serving a population with meaning to you, helps you convey the excitement you have about what you do. He describes the importance of developing the next generation of advisor in your business from both a continuity and a marketing point of view. And we talk about how the financial service business has evolved, raising the significance of expanding your value proposition and being more articulate about your desire to help clients accomplish their goals. Dan has been there and done that. And in addition to working with thousands of advisors, he can share with us his experience of having a successful business transition to the next generation of advisors. Please enjoy our conversation with Dan Sullivan. So Dan Sullivan, thanks for joining us on the Becoming Referrable podcast. Uh, Good afternoon. Great to be here. Now, you're one of the top couple executives at at Cambridge Investment Research, one of the most successful independent broker-dealers, but your background is as an advisor working directly with clients. Can you tell us a a little bit about, about the path that you took and how you got Maybe even how you got into the business and then eventually how you got over into the uh, broker-dealer management role? I'd love to. You know, it, the business is always about a bunch of things. Uh, it's about the relationships you develop uh, throughout your career. And it's also about kind of right place, right time, or in the right place at the right time, however you want to phrase that. And I think that has kind of been the evolution of a lot of, a lot of individuals as they go through their life cycle. Uh, I got into the business kind of as an accident myself. Uh, I graduated college uh, with a science degree, and uh, science degrees were not paying a whole lot. And uh, I had started a family, so I I eventually uh, ran into a friend who was in the financial services industry, convinced me it was the greatest career ever, and uh, uh, the rest is kind of history from the the beginning. So it was kind of the right place at the right time to be open to the consideration. Uh, I guess as time progressed, I I did that for many years, and... uh, uh, an opportunity, uh, you create relationships with friends. Obviously, some of my greatest friends through the years have been advisors that I've met and have uh, been with. And one of those people, his name was Jim Guy, who had uh, moved over to Cambridge uh, probably about five or six years before me and eventually took a management role himself. And uh, we remained very close friends and spent a lot of time together. And I could see his excitement and kind of rejuvenation of doing something different than just being an advisor himself. And then all of a sudden, I get a call one one uh, holiday morning and uh, said, I got a business proposition to, to, to discuss with you. And it was typical to many kind of business conversations, had nothing to do with me. It just had to do with a business question. But it was, what do you think, the question was, what do you think if you'd come to uh, spend some time with the executive board at Cambridge? And again, it was one of those times in my career. I've been in the career a long time. And it was kind of a transition period. Uh, I had already started to what I called institutionalize my book of business so I could have uh, either transition it or have more time uh, myself to do things that were more flexible than being the relationship to everyone and every one of my clients. So it was a little bit of right timing on that side. And it was a lot of intrigue on the other side. The intrigue was I had never done anything different in my life other than starting right out of college into the financial services. So the intrigue was always... Um, you know, what would have been like if I did something different? Uh, 
uh, and not understanding what that would uh, really portray. But you know, it was I was staying at least in a career path that I was at least from a field perspective uh, knowledgeable and had had some success. But certainly from a business perspective, was going to look at it in a totally different light. So it was a little bit both times, right place, right time. Um, and I think it was, again, seated in a relationship that went back about 30 years of friendship. Um, interesting enough, our CEO and president now had a had her origin at the same firm Jim and I did as well. So there, again, is kind of the connection that ties the, the balance of things together. And so you just partially answered this. And so when you got that call from Jim on that holiday morning, how long had you been in the business? Jim? Yeah. Jim had been in the business uh, probably about – how long I had been in the business? I've been in the business about 30-some years at that particular point in time. Oh, okay. Okay. And when you say you'd already started institutionalizing relationships and that kind of thing, would, tell, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Well, one of the things is as, as, as my practice matured and became a reasonably decent-sized practice, um, one thing we recognized or I recognized is I couldn't be everything – in all relationships, all my all my situations. So what I wanted was it to become the relationship to become the firm's relationship, as opposed to Dan Sullivan's relationship. And as it becomes the firm's relationship, we had at one point probably about 15 employees and, and members of the firm, all playing a unique role that actually served the clients far better than I did in some situations. So there was no reason for them to be calling me to be referred to someone else to either work on a specific. Uh, piece of their relationship or even the administrative side of it. And I think that was the big thing is trying to move away from my need to be all things in that relationship as opposed to the firm becoming all things in that relationship. It also would give me more time to spend eventually spend away from the firm, not even thinking about the attitude of taking on a different role within the industry, but uh, probably more uh, semi-retirement or things of that nature, which was probably more on the vision uh, before this opportunity came up. It's interesting. How, how much of your own journey and the lessons that you learned about institutionalizing those relationships do you now bring to relationships with advisors and the advice that you give them? Well, I try to instill that in them uh, for a number of reasons. One is I think it gives them the opportunity to show some depth and breadth to their organization. Uh, one is it's not just about them, which is also one of the concerns you have when you're a, a siloed or a soloed situation is people often desire to make sure that if something did happen to you, uh, there is competency behind you and there's, if not a complete leadership team behind you, but certainly the relationship there that takes that forward. I think it also uh, establishes a little bit of the generational element of this. Obviously, I'd been in the business a long time, which uh, means that as I continue to age, as everyone does, the older you get, the more challenging it gets to bring on new relationships that are younger. Let's say I'm 65 or 70 years old, and, I, and the ideal clients are in their early 50s. Those people are looking for someone that they want to line up with for the next 10, 20 years. And if I'm 70, there's a real challenge that 70 is going to be there for the, with the energy I have at that time uh, for the next 10 or 20 years. So that team effect or that uh, next generation effect also brings in that element of um, the continuity that this business is, is a business, not just a, a name, uh, an individual name. 
So, um, so let's let's get back to your story. Um, what what was the what was the topic that, that Jim wanted you to come in and talk with the executive team about? Well, they were expand Cambridge. If you know Cambridge's story, this was about twelve thirteen years ago. Was continuing growth. It was at an earlier stage in their uh, organization, and they were looking to expand the executive team. And the one thing that they desired to expand to was someone that was coming out of the field. Jim came out of the field at the time. They had two of the that if I came aboard, we'd have two of the five senior execs that had actually spent the bulk of their careers as advisors, as opposed to the bulk of their careers as coming up through the corporate uh, entity. That I think was the, the kind of the genesis of how Eric ran the firm was. It's not about what I want to build; it's about what I, I want the I want to build what the advisors wants want. And from that perspective, having advisors on the executive team. He felt there was a connectivity to the advisors that would be subtly different than if we hadn't spent uh, time in the field. And Jim and I also had totally differing backgrounds. He did a lot of the uh, investment management, financial planning. I was probably more focused on the uh, employee benefits and corporate planning uh, and corporate executive planning. So we both had backgrounds that uh, uh, would be able to instill in what Cambridge did or what Cambridge was trying to bring to the table for advisors that worked in multiple arenas. Oh, okay. Great. So when you, Dan, when you and I spoke, um, about, uh, referrals and, and, you know, what kinds of things, um, we would want advisors to know about it. One of the things that you spoke about was that, uh, was the importance of niche and how important it is that a niche, that an advisor develops reflects um, reflects themselves, reflects um, their own interests and passions and those kinds of things. Can you elaborate a little bit on that idea? Sure. You know, one of the things I have kind of visually saw when I was early in my business is people who were highly successful tended gradually had a focus or what I would call a niche. And I, I'll call it more of a focus that they're noted for than perhaps the only thing they do. So when they develop that niche, the one thing I always – have is you have great passion toward it because it's usually the thing that drew you to the top, you focused on, you enjoy the most. And the more you enjoy something, the more it conveys the fact of, um, of how excited you are and that energy kind of conveys into the thing. The big thing about a niche also is it can, it's a separator. Uh, you become known as being knowledgeable or perhaps the go-to person in any number of different places. Um, in, in my career, I had, as I said, employee benefits, and one of them was retirement plans, as an example. So even other advisors would come to me if it wasn't some core value proposition they had, and you did a lot of joint work, so you got recognized for that element of it. That transcends into your confidence and also into other centers of influence, whether they're professional or uh, industry-wide. And from an industry perspective, it all often led me to um, being – a speaker or being involved in trades or areas where they would bring someone in that would focus or be on a panel relative to that. So it becomes an awareness and it's a, a very subtle way of becoming, I guess, getting referrals or being set, um, set into a, a place where uh, people are confident when you talk about them or when they, when those opportunities, the right time to evaluate those, you've positioned yourself almost without asking, uh, for an opportunity to discuss that with uh, the people you know. 
So I would love to talk a bit more about some of the detail of that, but before I even get into that, can you talk about a niche that is about being yourself? Can you, can you give us some specific examples of advisors who had a niche that really did reflect who they were and it maybe even ideally some that didn't where there was a a conflict between those two things? So I think there's a couple of things here. When I said being yourself too, what I, what I mean when I learned early in the business was a lot of times you come in and people train you. I started when training was at its epitome, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and they'd come in and they'd lay out a, a path for you that was very defined. And you would almost memorize that path or be led into this is what you should be doing. Uh, two things happened that kind of caused transformation. Is One is when I either could personalize that path and not try to be a I would say like a mini me, follow in the tracks, do what I do and you'll be successful. And it created, put my personality into it, my passion into it, was when it kind of took hold and went forward. So a a little bit of that element of the personalization or uh, thing there. The second piece there is it also lets you be yourself. And you need to be very uh, relaxed and comfortable and if you're outside your comfort zone or you're trying to be something you're not, uh, it, it really doesn't convey very, very well. And I think that was it, relaxing, accepting who you're at, and finding, uh, customizing your personality to where you're going forward with. How much of that do you think comes with maturity? Um, in the, I mean, I've, I know I found personally that I – I became more of myself. My work was more about who I was the older I got. There's no question that maturity brings comfort with that. But again, at the beginning point, it's the awkwardness of not being who you who you were, mm-hmm. trying to convey, you know, the, the most successful people might be dynamic there might be a variety of things that no matter how hard you try to emulate it's it, it you'll look more awkward than you'll look comfortable doing it so i think it was more the acceptance uh not necessarily changing the track or the story or the the things but personalizing it into your own the chemistry of your own uh personality as opposed to the mm-hmm. personality of uh, who is usually training you and if you ever had trainers they usually aren't the uh uh, they're usually the most dynamic and the most energetic people, so it's hard to um, emulate them in the way they sometimes use the same, come across the same way. Right, right. So there's there's like being yourself in personality and how you show up and then also in working with a an, an ideal client that's a, a real reflection of your passion. Is that right? Well, the, the passion of the ideal client, it, it, well, your passion always comes across. You'll, you'll deal better with certain um, types of clients based upon who you are uh, no, without any question. But at the same time, I think it people, if they recognize you have a passion for what you have and they're there to get the value that you can define as your value proposition uh, to what you deliver, the personalities are key for long-term relationships, but they also, the initial stages set your credibility differently than if you were uh, not comfortable with your doing or were a little more awkward or not as confident or passionate about your business. Passion of what you do, I think, is the most important thing 
in in the excitement that you convey, however that co- which does come across when you share your passion and the energy you have about something. So, um, Dan, I'd help help me resolve this uh, this sort of um, I don't want to say a conundrum, but th- this potential uh, conflict. We know that um, you know what you're saying is um, that to find the right niche for yourself to to connect with the right the right folks that you you need to be um, you know you need to, to be comfortable with what you're with what you're doing and, and comfortable with what you're um, proposing to folks on the other hand we all know and as you know as, as people who have trained and, and coached along other people is that growth only happens once you get out of your comfort zone and so how do you how would you reconcile those two ideas that's a good point uh, I think there's when you're pushing yourself to go to the next level, you are challenging yourself uh, in a different way than I'm talking about with the with not being yourself. I think there you're challenging yourself to look at things that perhaps you hadn't considered, or to take on the opportunities that open the door where you you're, where you where you might be in a comfort zone and you don't press yourself to continue for that growth. So I think they're subtly different on that aspect. The uh, challenging and the growth for building a business is more taking the business risk and making sure you're making good decisions on how to run your business and what areas to expand your business into. Uh, I think are that I believe that may be what you're asking there. Okay, great. Um, now you talked about um, you know. Uh, being comfortable with who you are and, and 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 being passionate about what it is that you do and and tell us a little bit about how that translates into that the personal connection that uh, that an advisor can develop with clients and and how they translate that into how they communicate what they do. Well, and it, I, I think it's more intrinsic to you know people recognizing or sensing what you have a passion about what you're doing because if you have a passion, you come across sincere. Uh, and you have total belief in what you're doing. And that is, is conveyed and understood quite well, I think, just from an emotional perspective. What it conveys to the clients, I think, uh, is that confidence that, indeed, you're, you're looking at the best interest of them. And I think that's what and, – and they develop that trust in you. And that's the relationship building piece is over a period of time, it's that confidence and trust that – uh, the the advisor is instilling in, in in what he's done and continues to do for those people or his clients. The the other big thing there is it also instills the fact that there's, uh, if we're looking for the the growth of the business or pushing the business forward, is that the more your clients believe in you and trust in you, the more apt they are to want other people to be or proud of who they're working with and bring more clients to yourself as a, as an option for uh, other relationships that they have as you're trying to expand your practice. So I can see how that's, it will lead into a a great referral discussion. I'd, I'd love to, to also clarify when you talk about personal connection, when you talk about trust, there's an element of, who you are and how you show up and your intention and, and whatnot that feeds into that. Do you also see or recommend that advisors 
um, communicate or do certain things to help bolster trust and connection? Could you clarify a little bit on that? Uh, you're talking about things other th other things they do with their clients or for their clients? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, just really quickly, I remember talking many years ago to an advisor, and he was a, an extremely strong producer, and I said, what, what do you think sets you apart? And he said, well, my, I think my clients trust me. And I said, well, I think that's probably true for a lot. I said, well, how, why, you know, what do you do? And he, he, without realizing it, began to talk me through a process of the communications that went out. So there's there a tactic and process and structure behind everything that he did that at the end of it, I thought, well, that's why they trust you, because <laughs> you do what you say you're going to do. You've got a process. It's, it's more than just a, a feeling, if you know what okay. I mean. Okay. I do understand where you're going now. That is exactly right. I, I think, the, as I said, when we built a team, or at least in my group, or any team, whether it's a small group or a reasonable-sized group, needs to be part of the whole experience. And that experience needs to be, I, I guess, somewhat simple, uh, you know, memorable, that the clients understand what they're doing. It's transferable between all of the people. It doesn't matter who you're talking to within the, the team, the, within my team. We're all same passion. We're all same excitement that uh, conveys on to that uh, confidence. It's also repeatable. I think that is the biggest thing. And there's a process there that happens the same way every time, such that it becomes so embedded in your personalities or so embedded in how you do things, that it creates a, a, a culture to the little firm that these people recognize and they see it, sense it, no matter who they're dealing with within that organization. And I think it also draws them into it. They become part of it. Uh, because if everybody, if the culture is the same, people feel like you're drawn into that element as opposed to being fragmented out there and not sure how to connect. Now, that creates the not just the trust, but the confidence and kind of the enjoyment. Um, I think most advisors will say, when I use that word when we started relationships, some of, over the years, some of my best friends were people that I had didn't know and had as clients. And I think you, you expand that relationship beyond just the day-to-day -day element of the business of uh, the uh, financial planning element of it. it. It goes into every aspect of what they're what they're doing. We're a solution to what their needs are, uh, as 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 to what they're looking for us. Solve what I'm concerned about, whether it's you know college education for my kids or whatever. So they know that we're trust. They're trusting us to prioritize to some degree or help them prioritize the most important things in their lives. Great, thank you. And and how does how does Dan how does that help a, an advisor differentiate themselves from another advisor? I, I get the passion will help develop that yep. personal connection. How do how do we then carry that over into differentiation? Well, I, again, I think it's the the connectivity that you create. It's the relationship that they see. Now you can create relationships of a, a, a complete number of ways, but it's I look at the advisors as a solution. Uh, as opposed to to what is concerning with the clients that they're dealing with. And a solution is one who's actually listening or has a process to first identify that element in the conversation and then 
move forward with assisting them in the path that they're going, as opposed to perhaps having every client have a, well, the, the, the process is the same. The results are so customized or so personalized from the client's perspective that they, the sense is this is about me, not about you, that the development is discussed about here's the solution for your concerns, not here's the investment results that I can deliver to you because I'm the best investment manager or something of that nature. Okay. Okay. Um, now you're at the top of an organization that has thousands of advisors associated with it. So you're in a unique position to, to see what's going on. What, what are some of the things that you've seen that have changed the most in the last few years um, that, uh, that affect how a, an advisor communicates what we've been talking about? I think that is one of the things that we're in transition about is being more articulate about what our value proposition is to our, to the clients. I think we've referred to ourselves often as investment managers, uh, a variety of things, uh, maybe similar to that, but we're far more than that. I think we need to be far more articulate about articulate about all the other things we do, the concern over getting them in the right direction. When we, when we identify we're just a, a single mode, uh, like investment management is what I do, then I think we're going to be more conflicted in the future with people that come in, such as the robos and other things that are just investment management and, however, have none of that relationship building things, none of that trust that they're embedding in the relationship to actually discuss what the solution is as opposed to just having a, um, a personalized decision, I want investment management. So I think it's the expanding of the how we communicate what our value proposition is, of which investment management might be 20 to 40% of that relationship as opposed to all the other things we do, um, keeping them on track on days like today in the market, not letting them panic, and uh, holding them true to the focus on what their concerns are, which is about money, but it's also about achieving what they want. What do you think, um, Dan, holds advisors back sometimes from articulating their their value in that way is it is it that their identity is tied up uh, purely in investment management is it simply a lack of um, perhaps awareness uh, around some of the messaging what gets in the way I think it's a combination of what if you think back through the times of, of history for the last 20 30 40 years there always becomes power phrases that, is the next evolution of what is trying to distinguish the new breed or the new offering uh, relative to what's there. Uh, you know, financial planning was a phrase at one time. Everything, you know, there, there was, I'm a financial planner. Yeah, then I was, you know, an investment manager. Then I'm different things. Uh, <clears throat> and I think it's trying to be relevant to what is getting the current marketing push or if there's a new phrase you try to catch on to it such that you uh, aren't left behind to some <clears throat> in some case uh, so I think we're sometimes our own worst enemy but at the same time um, I usually reflect back and I usually ask the people that have been in the business 10 20 30 years what you're are you offering anything different is your relationship changed and typically your relationship with the client has not changed at all 
the tools, the technology, uh, the products have all changed, but the the value to that relationship is still consistent no matter what you call it. And I think we sometimes get hung up on boxing ourselves in and calling it something, and then it isn't back to the more holistic big picture. Right. So this sort of relates to that. What, what do you think are the, either the things that, that no longer work that used to work, or what are some of the biggest myths that are out there in terms of projecting your image and, you know, trying to connect with new people? Well, I, I don't know if anything doesn't work anymore, but I think it's maybe a little bit what you're saying, the myths, uh, using the same phrases I, I will just been using. It's not all about the investment results. It's all about the solutions that you're bringing to the table. The investment results will be a piece of uh, what happens there, but it's the solution that they're concerned about more so than uh, the investment result. And <clears throat> I think if you can keep them focused on what their needs and their the client's needs and solutions are, or the needs that they they've identified, and the fact they're working on the solutions and the the what you how you've positioned them, the solution is there. So I think it's not trying to identify that I have the I can pick out the best funds, I can manage be the best manager. Uh, it's more did I match up your needs with what is available within the industry to to uh, take to solve make you feel comfortable mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. Okay. So, uh, Dan, you're, you're on the broker-dealer side of the business, um, and obviously there are a lot of things going on there, a lot of changes happening over there. What, what do you see as the, 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 some of the uh, maybe the one or the couple biggest changes that um, are likely to happen in the next five or ten years? Well, obviously, uh, things will continue to move forward. I mean, while I work for an independent broker-dealer, it should be clear that uh, we're both a, a duly registered, we're an RIA and a, a broker-dealer. And interesting enough, our firm for the last 12 years has had greater revenue on the RIA side than the broker-dealer side every year. Um, so I think it is the evolution of probably exactly what that means is the, <clears throat> the momentum is growing on the advice side of the equation, which I was trying to instill, I think, in some of the other comments I made. And... <clears throat> I think the the evolution will continue to continue to move it with technology. Technology is the biggest driver out there right now, relative to where we're gonna where the industry is gonna go. Everything from just you know single sign-on doing everything to what is will probably not be that far out as I understand the artificial intelligence um, to call up Watson and ask him almost any question about any investment. Uh, or even from a home office perspective, um, find out what forms are needed to process any kind of business. So <clears throat> I think the biggest change will be in technology. What I don't see is the connect connect changing is the connectivity or the loss of the relationship that will keep these people emotionally stable when things don't go the way they anticipated. So it's the unknown. The market takes the next major correction. Um, it's the confidence you'll have, not in artificial intelligence, but probably in that uh, psychology or the uh, work that the advisor is doing to keep the person centered for not making the wrong decisions at the wrong time. And I think so while there'll be change, they'll be back to that center of the role that I play or any other advisor plays will still be 
that stabilizing effect to keep them focused and not making the wrong decisions uh, emotionally. And that's the other thing is you're, you're helping you manage their emotions, not just their investments. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that um, the whole uh, discussion about uh, fiduciary and what r- rules there are around that are going to be are going to mean big changes in, in the in the industry, or do you think that's going to end up being not as being sort of anticlimactic? You know, I think it's already impacted us <clears throat> tremendously. I think it's made uh, you know an awareness of uh, what fiduciary is. Uh, I think it's you know fiduciary is whether it's fiduciary uh, acting in the best interest of the client. Um, I think fiduciary creates a perpetual deal, and I think that becomes a discussion of. And I think you've seen that swing a little bit both ways here recently, too, is, you know, everything should have been fiduciary. That's why the DOL was pushing uh, the elements they're trying to push and everybody uh, needed to um, act almost on an advisory basis as opposed to a transaction basis. And then, of course, as things settle in, uh, you get some pushback from the from a, a, a counterpoint saying today, well, maybe everything shouldn't be if it's a single transaction or certain things maybe shouldn't have ongoing fees structured connected to them. Uh, so I think there'll be a better balance as we come out of this. I think it's always acting in the best interest of the client and trying to quantify how that plays out from an economic perspective, I think is just secondary to making the right decision based upon what services you're offering in that particular situation. Okay, great. Well, Dan, our, our time is just about up here, and, and we really appreciate your joining us to uh, to discuss these things with us. Any last thoughts you wanted to leave our listeners with before we sign off? You know, it's a I guess it's it's a great industry. As I said earlier, it's going to change. I think it, it's been changing. If you think back 10, 20, 30 years, the business never looked like it looked like in the past. So no matter where this where this current change is taking us, it'll change again and again as we move forward. Uh, but again, I don't believe it'll ever go away. So um, hang in there and uh, believe in it. And uh, I think it's uh, one of the most rewarding uh, careers that one, anyone could ever have. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, Dan, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.